my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just want a little breakfast. Hello and welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit and DIY punk brought to you by Sham City Roasters and Deadbeat Donuts. From Hastings, I'm Dave. And I'm Siobhan. <laughs> and welcome to episode 47. This is part of a, I'm going to call it inverted commas, series that we're going to do called Lo-Fi Culture. This is part one, zines and the small press. Uh, uh, um, series could be it's as long as a piece of string. We might do three. <laughs> Depends how the first We've one definitely goes. We might got not even two. do a second one. Well, yeah. <laughs> we'll We've got two planned. We'll see how this one goes. And then there may be a third. Who knows? We're recording this on what I thought was more or less the first day of winter. And then suddenly, after being extremely sad and miserable and cold all morning, the sun's just come out. Aww. Very strange. Well, there we go. That's October for you. It takes you by surprise every time, don't it, We're talking about the weather. We are. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. <laughs> well, we have been thinking a lot about change recently. If you listen to our recent Patreon episode. Because I think of the Metro Mercury retrograde. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it's very. It's very you to I think just, about the planets, David. I just keep that was seeing so people you. mentioning it in a very serious term. Do you? I've never heard of it until you mentioned it about 10 minutes ago. Well, uh, I think what it means is that for the last month we've all been grumpy. Yeah. And upset with each other. Then things have gone wrong. Okay. It seems to suggest that it might have caused physical things to have gone wrong. But on the 3rd of October, which when we're recording this is only a few days away, ago. Ago, yeah. Um... <laughs> It stopped, and now everything should be fine. Did the government tell us that it's the mercury problem? And I don't not... think we can blame this on the tourists. Is that, <laughs> no, this is is not... that why this... everyone queued up to see the Queen die? <laughs> oh, maybe. Well, some people might say it's because the Queen, well, why the Queen died. Oh. I don't know. When did she die? Ask Robert Smith uh, 13 years ago. He'll tell In you. fairness, if anyone knew about uh, mercury being a retrograde for, what, the third time ever... No. Not the third time, ever the third time this year. Oh, this which year? I, think, oh, I don't I understand think what the, that means I think then. the idea of it is that one of the reasons why everything just seems so fucking shit at the moment is that this year we've had a lot of mercury retrograding. <laughs> I really don't understand this at all. I hope no, no one listening is some sort of knowledgeable person about this and, that, and we're getting it all wrong. We're definitely getting it wrong. Because we are definitely yeah, getting it wrong. We're definitely getting it all I'm wrong. I'm not saying this with any sort of knowledge. <laughs> we're whatsoever. not astronomers or astrologers. Astrologers? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know really don't know what's your star sign taurus you know it do you yeah. believe in that shit nah. nah nah i'm not i'm not against anyone that does i like the idea of it a lot yeah i um, think it i think it's a, a as a metaphorical concept mm. it can be good i think it tells you more about yourself i think if you yeah. read a paragraph that someone's written that says you're going to do this and you've done this and that you can learn more about yourself from thinking about how you react yeah. to that paragraph. 100%. Than anything else. So in that context, it's a bit like the tarot. The yeah. tarot. 
I think it's about lots of different kinds of magic. If you go back and listen to our magic episode, like no one ever has, um, <laughs> that's a lot about what that episode is about or was meant to be about, yeah. which is whether you believe it or not, it's your reaction to it. Yeah. Does it does it matter if you uh, if some people believe that because they cast a spell, an earthquake happened because they could do a curse and that you're scared of this person? Or is it actually more important that the resulting factor is you think about your actions and you're a bit nicer? Yeah. Because the background feeling is that witch might put a curse on you and your house will fall down. I mean, everything that we do... <laughs> Yeah. in every context, is to do with our psychology. And oh. therefore to do with the first probably two years of our lives and how we were dealt with by our parents. Uh, oh, no, you're not doing a psychology, but David, <laughs> in your in your new degree, will you be learning over this stuff? No, because uh, no, it's not a psychology I I degree. I think I can. I think there's an option to, but no, I've done enough of that shit at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, you'll be you'll be fulfilling all of our lives with your teachings. Maybe we should introduce this yeah. because otherwise that doesn't make any sense doesn't, to the listener. Because all. we we so we did talk about this on our Patreon episode uh-huh. for some time. I'm just starting a degree in the humanities, philosophy, and some other philosophy, things. and possibly some creative writing. Although now I'm thinking maybe something else. I don't know. I've started looking through the courses and thinking, oh, that looks interesting. Oh, because it's it? a bit of a pick and mix. As long as it fits within that frame, you can. There's yeah, quite a few I things can you can pretty pick. Pretty much do. What you I don't want, have to pick them from the beginning. You can pick as you go. Yeah. That's pretty fucking good, isn't it? I've done my first week. I learned about Cleopatra. Oh, yeah? You you enlightened me. She's Yeah, Greek. I'm not going to enlighten the ladies oh. and gentlemen. Well, I'll give though, it away. I'll get very bored. <laughs> and this introduction's already gone on too long. I think we need to play a song, really. Yeah, but um, So this is a band called Shove, who are from Melbourne in Australia. It's from their new 7-inch EP, which is just called Shove 2. It's just come out. And the song is called Death Admin Machine. <laughs> Thursday. Breaking news is part of this job. You are fake news. News. This is what's happening in your world. It's a fucking news. 
So I wonder if Mercury being in retrograde was the reason for my first news story. Mm-hmm. Woman spends three days in hospital after dog pooed on her face while she slept. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I enjoy about this article a great deal, which unfortunately is on the Lad Bible, or Ooh. the, the Lad Bible, the Lad Bible. Like uh, is that the first thing it says is, warning, in bold, contains photos of dog shit on a woman's face. <laughs> and it does. And I will share this on Instagram oh at some point. Oh my God, 100%. I want to see it. A woman has been hospitalised for three days after her beloved pet pooch did a shit on her face <laughs> while she slept. Amanda Gomo from Bristol was enjoying one of those proper good afternoon naps. You know, the ones where you're out for the count and your mouth is wide open. I'm not sure that's a classic, but anyway. Oh. And her chihuahua, Belle, decided to join her. But as the 51-year-old was snoozing, little Belle came down with the squits and a violent burst of diarrhoea stirred Amanda from her slumber in the worst possible way. Oh. I was having my afternoon nap with Belle, like I always do. So this woman's living a lovely life. She has yeah. an afternoon nap every day. When I suddenly felt something squirt in my mouth, the mum of three recalled. <laughs> I rushed to the bathroom and my son was in the shower. So before I watched it out, I had time to take a quick snap. Oh. Again, I say this about a lot of things. I think a woman taking a selfie of herself with dog shit in her mouth <laughs> It probably sums up a lot about the modern day of how we all live. It was disgusting and I was hurling violently for hours after. I just couldn't get the taste out of my mouth. It does sound grim. So there is a picture of her with dog shit all over her mouth, uh, which I'm going to share on Instagram. Uh, it looks very wet. Oh, it looks like bean juice. Uh, oh God, it's horrible. But uh, it does get a bit dark. Um, she started to feel very unwell and she actually ended up in hospital for three days with gastrointestinal infection. And <laughs> she got cramps. They said Someone sent an ambulance. Uh, she was so dehydrated from being sick and having diarrhoea that my kidneys had shriveled to half their size. I was kept in hospital for three days until they flushed the infection out through a drip. Mm. Um, the doctors had never seen anything like it. She says, my discharge note said that I'd suffered a gastrointestinal infection caused by a dog defecating in my mouth. <laughs> Something doctors had never witnessed before. This is my favourite. I've been drinking two LucasAids a day. <laughs> and I'm happy to say both me and Bella are on the mend. Oh my gosh. I don't know if she's given Belle any LucasAid. She's also, that would give it the shits. The only reason anyone knows about this is because she's written to the newspaper saying a dog shit in my mouth. A hundred percent. And I've got a selfie of it. I've got photographic proof. Yeah, better take a photo because I will be writing to the lad Bible about this. I love the fact that she tried to cover it up by saying, oh, my thumb was in the shower. That's the only reason I had time to take a photo. I mean, also, a, she's first definitely of all, swallowed it all by that point because her mouth is like pretty empty. Also, she's, she's got more sinks in her house than just the one in the bathroom. If I had shit in my mouth, I'd go to the nearest sink, even if it was the kitchen. I'd spit it on the floor if I had to. I mean, I think she'd spat it out. It was on her chin. I think she'd sort of drooled it. She was asleep. She'd probably already spat it out before she even knew the shit was there. Oh my god. Well, all of mine are animal related also. Oh, there you go. Um, the accidental theme. I've if been I'd known these... we were theming it, I would have probably found some other I, animal. In fairness, I think that's my only one. I didn't know I was theming it. And until <laughs> I added the third one to my little notes that I save, uh, I realised they all had an animal in them. So that's what I'm about. Cat who loves sneaking into school gets his portrait taken on picture day. Aww, I love this one. Do you have a little just, tie on? He's so cute. Cool. <laughs> 
After picture day, mum Emma Roberts was expecting to get sweet photos of her two daughters, Megan and Chloe, aged 10 and 7. But to her great amusement, Emma was also handed professional pictures of her naughty cat, Ziggy, who seemingly loves nothing more than sneaking into Megan and Chloe's school. Ziggy, four years old, regularly roams the grounds of her daughter's primary school, so it only seemed fitting that he has a portrait of his own. Indeed, the clever cat politely sat and stared right down the lens in one snap <laughs> and he looked deliberately to the right in another as if he's deliberately posing for the perfect shot no. it's just a beautiful thing it's a very happy pic- uh, a very happy story and I'm just going to show David the picture there's one. Oh. oh. And yes, it's with that lovely background that they still have in, yeah. in, in <laughs> yeah, school pictures oh my pictures. god they haven't changed that at all they have not changed it and then <laughs> Look at that. Oh, he's looking straight down the lens. And they gave one. those pictures to the kids. So when the kids <laughs> came home, she opened them and it's just it's just beautiful. Little, little pictures of the cat. Oh. He's just an absolute menace. It was a real mix of emotions. He is funny and embarrassing. The kids see him at school and as soon as you go to pick them up, you can hear kids talking about him. Oh, little Ziggy. But the head teacher said it's impossible to keep him off the grounds. We've even joked that he says <laughs> that his attendance Sets an example to the pupils. <laughs> oh, very funny. So, yeah, I know he's very uh, he's Do hilarious. they still have naps in nursery? Because if they do, that cat might sneak in and shit in one of the children's mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Good boy, Ziggy. Good oh, boy. imagine the amount of fucking milk that would come out of the child if a cat shat in its mouth while it was asleep. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Still I think something. they still do that, don't they? They give you a little bottle of milk before you have a nap. I never had that. Is that literally something from 1985 yeah, or something? Do they do it in nursery? I th- I or don't a yeah. primary school? No, nah, nursery, I think. I don't think I went to a nursery. Oh. So I don't think I know. I went what, to a did your parents group. like you or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a funny play group in the school. Um, no, it wasn't in the school. It was in the village uh, village hall. Oh, right. And there was just toys laid out and you just played. I think it's where you dumped your kid when you couldn't bother to look after I mean, him. But it wasn't strange. nursery. Was it run by somebody in a 70s rocker outfit? I <laughs> by any chance. Was it run by a DJ from the <laughs> 80s? <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know what that means. <laughs> If I don't remember it, you tree. Does that mean trauma? No, I mean I don't, if you don't remember oh, it, yeah, yeah. then is it just trauma? Oh dear. <laughs> well, oh that dear. got dark very quick. That was supposed <laughs> to be a little bit of fun. I remember it fondly. <laughs> we'll go with that. Well, a couple of weeks ago, somebody spotted the Queen's face in the clouds, mm-hmm. uh, but now a mum has spotted the face of Elvis in a pot of McDonald's ketchup. What and how and no. A mother was left all shook up Ugh. after discovering the king himself in a pot of McDonald's tomato ketchup. Lisa Ringsell, 27 from Dundee, did a double take when she saw Elvis staring back at her after dunking her last nugget. <laughs> <laughs> there is an undoubted likeness, to be fair, with a defined head, trademark quiff, eyes, mouth and sideburns. She said, I looked in the pot debating if there was enough sauce to dip again. And that's when I saw him. I must say... <laughs> It doesn't look anything like Elvis. It's literally just ketchup with that's made some eyes and a sort of a quiff. Oh, go on, let me have a look. It's really pushing it. (laughs) It does look like a Lego version of Elvis. Yeah, maybe a Lego version, that's fair. But I think it's a real push. It's a real push. Wow. (laughs) As soon as I saw him, I immediately said, What? And showed my partner. I said to him, This looks like Elvis. (laughs) I took the photo straight away and showed some friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ. Lisa's life looks absolutely delightful. 
Oh, <laughs> bless. No, you're not blessed. They were just laughing about it and they could see the resemblance too. Lisa confessed that her partner, Dean, 26, was not as fast about the discovery, telling her she gets excited over silly things. But she says, I don't usually notice these things. So she either doesn't notice them or Dean, her partner, is right about her getting excited <laughs> over silly things. Those things can't be paired. They can't be paired, no. It's something I won't forget for a long time. What? My mum is an Elvis fan, so she loved it. So this woman's life is fucking miserable. Wow. But um Or really good because she gets great pleasure out of finding pretend people in the bottom of her ketchup pots. Wouldn't that be it's a quite delight. a nice life. Wouldn't that be a delight? That's like I bet her partner just sounds like for fuck's sake. <laughs> and she's having the greatest time finding things in places that they're not. That's cool. Good yeah. for her. Good for her. Owner left red faced after dog accidentally orders pay-per-view adult videos. Oh. Bichon Free's dog Marino accidentally ordered pay-per-view porn when he got hold of the remote, his owner said. <laughs> Actual lies. It sounds like Alan Park. I know. A dog owner was hit with a hefty £70 bill after his Bichon Freeze accidentally ordered access to a semi-hardcore adult channel when he sat on the TV remote. Sorry, does it cost £70 to watch... It depends a how much you semi-hardcore do. adult channel. <laughs> well, that pe- sounds like rubbish. Is it pay per minute? I actually don't know. Oh, I don't know. No, you pay for like an hour's worth and keep going. Be, can it? Or access for a night? You must. You I must get know. it for like a day, or maybe it's a month. But even a month would be seventy quid. Sounds like the amount that you might pay in it for a year's worth. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a dog accidentally sitting on it once. I mean, pornography isn't really worth very much in the modern age, is it? You can literally get it for free everywhere. So to charge seventy quid for this man's lying. Clearly, yeah, he's, clearly he's massive, bought the pay per view. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, we're missing the missing the point. <laughs> Thomas Barnes claims his Bichon Fries named Marino inadvertently ordered the Hustler Channel, a semi-hardcore pornographic premium television channel, when he jumped up onto his bed. He believes the naughty pooch landed on the TV remote and pushed the wrong buttons when trying to make himself comfortable. After realizing what had happened, Thomas contacted the satellite provider. In, in quotes, within minutes, <laughs> and tried to explain how it was all a misunderstanding. He was assured the problem would be sorted, but later he realised he still had access to the X-rated channel. Oh, well, if I've got access to it still, God damn it, I might as well look. Oh, this is the dog that did it, David. Hey, he's got glasses <laughs> he's on. He's got glasses on. <laughs> we'll put these pictures up somewhere. His bill came through and it was much higher than normal, £70 charge for the Hustler channel. He didn't want to pay for his dog's mistake. <laughs> He subtracted the, the cost of the hustler and paid the rest, but then his entire service got cut off because of this. Do you think he's posed that dog with glasses on to say, look, he can't see very well, and so that's why he accidentally <laughs> pressed the wrong button? That- it does feel like that scene in Alan Partridge where he says, the problem is what you've done there is when it said, do you want to watch Bangkok Chick Boys, <laughs> yeah. you pressed yes instead of no. And then Alan Partridge says, yes, it can be very confusing. <laughs> I feel like that might be exactly what this man has done. It is very that. I mean, there's nothing more to it. I don't really care how that ends because he's obviously lying. He, well, here's let's think about what actually happened in real life. Here's what seventy actually pounds happened. worth of porn. That man thought to himself, "I'm having a right fucking good night in." I think his wife's gone out. He's probably not got he's, a wife, but let's just pretend his wife's gone out. He's in on his own. Yeah, he's put on his sexiest nightgown. Oh yeah, the one of those satin ones. And he thought, "I'm really going to treat myself." Yeah, he probably does. He thought, "I'm going to get this semi-hardcore pornography channel because I don't understand that I can get anything that I want on the internet." And <laughs> and it's going to be worth a cheesecake it. slice from Tesco. Oh yeah, he's eaten very rich foods. Yeah, yeah, in bed. Yeah, yeah, he's got all of the lotions. 
and and he thinks to himself, I'm going to make a real night of this. And then he came in at like a minute because he got overexcited. And then he thought, fucking hell, 70 quid for a minute. I <laughs> ring him and tell, tell him my dog did it. <laughs> oh, poor Marino getting the blame. He's too cute. Well, a man has been struck by lightning while sitting in his living room playing his PlayStation. Oh. Aidan Rowan, 33, was using his PlayStation when he heard a loud crack followed by a heavy sensation in his body around 10.30 last Monday. He immediately killed over at his home in Oxfordshire, so his husband Aaron took him to hospital. Aidan was kept under supervision for several hours before being discharged with some pain medication. In a stroke of coincidence, he was playing Stray at the time, a game where you control a lost cat during a thunderstorm. What a game that sounds like. I mean, he's you obviously he's obviously putting his life to good use, I this boy. I think this is the biggest game at the minute, you know Oh, that. really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know much about it, but it is something about a stray cat. Weird. But he says, there was a loud crack of thunder, and I sort of felt a very heavy sensation all over, and then a searing heat in my right arm, where there are now burns. It took about a minute to come back to my senses. I felt very, very confused. I went upstairs and asked my husband for a wet towel, as I didn't know what had happened, but my arm was burning. He asked what that smell was, and it was me burning. (laughs) Sounds horrible. (laughs) That sounds so awful. He then called his parents to take me to hospital. He said he could see my arm blistering as he watched. I mean, this does sound like something out of a horror film. It's because he's experiencing a burn at that time. That's horrendous. The doctors believed that the lightning bounced off some water and then came through the window. Mm. After hot weather had made the ground hard, causing rainwater to sit on top of it. So there's just like a big puddle outside their house and, and lightning, lightning hit, it. hit it and then bounced off Bounced of it. off it, went through the window and hit him. Is the wind... Oh my God, so many questions, but... There is a picture of him in his hospital bed. Uh, he's taking his top off and he's doing the devil horns. So he's a lot of fun. Um, I just thought it was fucking mad. It's kind of... Lightning can bounce off water and just come in the window of your house <laughs> and just hit you whilst you're playing PlayStation. Good job you don't play the PlayStation, David. I don't that's think that's the, the only. That's the very. I think that's the only way I don't control. get struck. It's by the only lightning. one we can control. <laughs> Following on from the animal theme that I seem to have established already, Mum mm-hmm. left horrified after cat comes home with anal beads in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> This is following on from an anal bead story from last episode as well. Oh, yeah, the there buzzing a, ones. There was in a the, chessman, chess a chessman with anal beads last and time. And now there's a cute little cat called Demo. Look at him. He's got lovely anal beads. Um, um, <laughs> a mum was left horrified after a cat brought home a sex toy, leading to an awkward conversation with her 12 year old son. Oh. Rachel Masterman's kleptomaniac cat, Demo, has become somewhat of a local celebrity for the random things he brings back as gifts for his owner. The four-legged thief has previously dragged home gloves, a watering can, and even floral tributes from the graveyard behind their home. (laughs) However, the three-year-old pet recently stepped up his game when he came through the door with what appeared to be anal beads in his mouth. Rachel was left mortified when she realised what the risque item was and faced some awkward questions from her son when he spotted it. As always, if these belong to me, just inbox me, his owner said. As in, I think she said that to her son. As always, I mean, this is awkward as hell. As always, just let me know if these are yours. Sorry, she's asking her son to send her an email. <laughs> what? That's not That's not how you parent. That's not what if if as, we need to now son if we need always. to have if we need to have an awkward conversation about anything or we need to discuss sex in any way yeah. just um drop me an hit email. me up in my personal messages slide into my DMs slide into my DMs <laughs> Jesus Christ as that is al- not parenting as always <laughs> as always son if that sex toy on the dining room table's yours just let me know slide into my DM never slide into my DMs <laughs> send me an email on the, on the, on the AOL 
Please tell me this isn't how people are parenting. <laughs> oh, my God. The I more I think no about idea. it, the worse it gets. It's so bad. Oh, my God. As always, just send me an email. <laughs> what the fucking hell? I have to admit, when you first said that, though, I did think that the awkward conversation was about the fact that they were the son's anal beads. And I thought, well, that's fucking dark. 12-year-old son. The cat's gone says, and grabbed his al- anal beads. As always. So he Jesus has something. Christ. He's got something. Go, Gosh, as always. Come on. He's 12 years old and his mum's saying, if there's anything you want to talk about, email me. What the fuck? <laughs> Especially if they're your anal beads again. Oh my um, god! So she um, talked to her sister about it. At first, I thought it was one of those car air freshener things, and then I showed my sister, and she said, "Oh, Rachel, that's definitely not an air freshener." <laughs> Took me a minute. But once I realised the opposite of an air freshener, <laughs> surely. <laughs> once I realised what it was, I was absolutely horrified. I had my twelve-year-old son asking me what it was. I was absolutely mortified. So I emailed him, and I said. <laughs> I said don't worry about the uh, car air freshener. It was no big deal. And he emailed me back and he said, but mum, why did it smell of shit? So I emailed <laughs> him back and I said, son, there's some things that you don't need to know about. And he, he, he emailed me back and said, please let me know. I really would like to know. So I emailed him back. <laughs> I explained what anal bees were. Well, actually, I didn't explain. I just sent him the Wikipedia page for, for <laughs> anal some bees. videos in case he wants to find out how they're used. But yeah. I sent him the Hustler channel. It cost me 70 fucking quid. Oh, yeah. no don't worry, the, the cat stole that as well. cat ordered that with its bum or something. I don't know. But yeah, that's be the ends of my animal sex stories of this week. <laughs> well, on a not even slightly related uh, news story. Good. This one's not really very funny. It's just sort of confounding. Okay, I'll take confounding. The Pocket Gods, who are apparently a indie rock band not a well-known indie rock band, are hoping to sell a one-off album for £1 million. Fuck's and sake. here's why. The indie band The Pocket Gods have long campaigned for fairer streaming royalties, so they're a lot of fun, releasing albums of just 30-second songs in the last few years. Now they have bigger plans for their latest work, Vegetal Digital, but you'll need a bit of cash and have to be in St Albans to hear it. A small independent record store tucked away in a neat courtyard of shops next to St Albans' famous cathedral, a vinyl record that one band is hoping could become the most expensive ever sold in the UK is about to be released. Just one physical copy of the prolific indie band The Pocket God's latest album, Vegetal Digital, has been produced, going on sale at their hometown's Empire Records for the rather large sum of £1 million. The Hertfordshire band's frontman, Mark Christopher Lee, is confident they will find a buyer. But why are they trying their luck? Well, they've been long protesting about what they say is a lack of fair royalties paid to musicians on Spotify and other streaming services. Highlighting the fact it only takes 30 seconds for a song to trigger a streaming payment, the Pocket Gods have been recording songs of around this length since 2015. Lee says it's now time to stop moaning about Spotify and do something productive to help artists and songwriters. So if the one copy of Vegetal Digital sells for £1 million, the proceeds will fund a new rival ethical streaming platform that they're calling Nubplay. Nubplay? Yeah. (laughs) It sounds ambitious. Nubbing play, as in, like, third nipple. Yeah, 
I think so. I don't think that they're very creative people, to be honest. They're just trying to make a fuss. But it is is quite interesting. It sounds ambitious, but the musicians say he believes that the record could be snapped up within a couple of weeks. I think he's been a bit hopeful there. Very hopeful. Someone who's got lots of money and wants to do something good with it, he tells Sky News, pondering what kind of person might invest. It's a crazy world we're getting into, but we're making a stand. We want to make better future for artists and songwriters. We talk a good game, but actions speak louder than words, and this is what we're going to do. For years and years, music and lots of the arts have been devalued, and I just can't imagine a world without music. I would argue that probably being a bunch of pricks about it and making a load of 30-second songs on your last three albums, Mm. that's probably devaluing the arts uh, even more so. True, and also, they're not doing anything. The person who's going to give a million pounds of their money is the one doing something. I mean, I think the chances of anybody buying the Pocket Gods album, Vegetal Digital, for £1 million, just because there's only one of them, from a local record shop, is non-existent. So, I mean, this is a completely pointless thing that they're using just to make a fuss Also, I'm just like, oh yeah, who's going to buy it? Well, someone's got a lot of money and just wants to help people. If someone's got a lot of money and wants to help people, they'd already be doing it. They don't need to buy your shitty record. You've done nothing. The Pocket Gods would just like to... You've done absolutely nothing. They would like to make us fuss, much fuss about their band as they can. Exactly. You are the unimportant piece of this puzzle. But the nub play does sound good. Don't get me wrong. It would guarantee to pay artists and songwriters a minimum royalty of 1p per stream um, it doesn't sound that much, but it's 50 times the current rate we get from Spotify. Oh, wow. I didn't realise it was that low on Spotify. That's crazy. Oh, it's like 0.001p or some absurd amount. But I, I I feel sort of two ways about these this band, really. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, they're obviously being pricks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, I do definitely think that them throwing a hissy and a completely unknown band i might add that nobody is interested they're prolific in. according it's, to they're that. prolific <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they're successful in any uh, way yeah, yeah. they're not a successful band they're just a completely random unknown band made up of middle-aged white men mm-hmm. who are missing the times when they could once maybe sell their demo cassette for four pounds to someone and make a comfortable two pounds profit yeah uh, they're grumpy they're trying to make a fuss as well and they're doing it in this frankly childish way making albums of 30 second songs in order to get one over on spotify Mm. is not brilliant again it's definitely devaluing your art it's basically saying our music makes no difference we're just trying to make a point with it Mm. but equally they do have a point nub play does sound pretty good nub play sounds cool i like that (laughs) but it's never going to happen either there's just so many aspects of this which confuse me and i can't really unpick it it's like They've come up with this good idea that obviously anybody could have come up with. If you ask any musician or even any non-musician who knows how much Spotify pay them, they could all say, well, it'd be brilliant if we could get one P per stream or even better if we could get five P per stream or whatever. Mm. And it would be fairer. I mean, it's not a hard thing to come up with. But having said that, it would be cool if Nubplay happened. If, yeah. some, if someone bought this million pound album. I do just, I don't know, I get the imp- there's something a bit dodgy about it as well, though. I feel like if someone actually bought this thing for a million pounds, these, these pricks would just fuck off. <laughs> yeah, but like, fuck me, I didn't think it would actually happen. Let's go to Bermuda, woo-woo. I listened to a bit of The Pocket Gods and it was fucking dreadful. Don't fancy a million for it? Oh, I mean, well, I mean, it's not really an option for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a student. You're a student, you get a student loan, just get a few of them, pay it off. Do you think that the student loan is a million pounds, you would? Is it not? (laughs) Why are we not rich? (laughs) I'll tell you where there's some rich people who have a million pounds who could easily sponsor nub play, such as Johnny Depp. 
I yeah. believe. Yeah. And uh, Delia some, Smith. Some modern art. Delia Smith. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think she's got a million pounds. She might have a million pounds. Delia's got a million, I reckon. I don't know. Delia's got a few million. Doesn't she own the football club or something? She's Yeah, she's something to do. She's on the board of directors. Well, she must have an awful lot of money. Uh, in the 80s, Delia Smith would have fucking raked it in. Yeah, no, that's true. She was she was big until quite recent. Well, anyway, she's yeah. from Norfolk. Well, this one is a bit premature for the month, I would say. Is it um, Mercury retrograding? That's, not mer- that's nothing to do with that Mercury nonsense that you were speaking about earlier. No, nothing to do with that. It's a, a little bit Halloween-y. Oh. We're in the month of October of, mm-hmm. uh, of the Halloween month. I would say that the news in Norfolk has been extraordinarily dry uh, this last two weeks. The main thing is St Stephen Street that's taken two years to be revamped. Everyone says it's a waste of money and the bus stops aren't even up yet. So people are very fucking livid about that and I must say that has absorbed everyone's attention in the news. But not this article. This is five haunted places in Norfolk to visit this Halloween. Oh, we love ghosts and in we Norfolk. And do, we do love the paranormal in Norfolk. Because Norfolk has lots of places where paranormal activity has been pictured. And so... If you fancy a paranormal experience to celebrate Halloween this year, Norfolk's got a rich history and has provided loads of old haunts where many claim to have seen the impossible. So we're going to go through the top five and uh, you're going to just entertain me with what you reckon's happened and then we'll oh, read am it I? out. All right. Um, because, Good luck with that. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it might. I imagine whatever you say will probably be more interesting than what the EDP reckons has happened there, but... We're going to have a go, and maybe we'll go visit some of these places someday. So number I'll one, tell you who will be visiting. I can't remember his name, but that man who we covered on the news quite a few times in the muscle vest that likes to get himself pictured in spooky places that are now gym. gyms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, this one is definitely not a gym. All right. The first one on this list is Coltishall Bridge. And Coltishall Bridge is the favourite haunt of the Black Shuck. What do you reckon the Black Shuck is? Uh, I think we might have mentioned it on a way back when... It sounds, like, it sounds like a monk to me. Some sort of evil monk who lives under a bridge. What are the... Is it do, a troll under they, a bridge? A troll monk. I'll tell you what. It's very weird because I think a monk's coming up later. Oh, okay. It's not All on right. this one, though. <laughs> as big as a calf and as black as night with red, red fiery eyes. Oh, we have talked about he this He is an omen of death. <laughs> Tales of this devil dog. That's a devil That's dog. A That's devil a bit dog. like what's that Sherlock Holmes story where there's a big old Hound dog. Hound of the Baskervilles. Hound of the Baskervilles. Black Shuck of the Coltishall Bridge is uh, very. It was the second on the list for that man who wrote that book. Tales of this devil dog date back to the Viking period, and there are still said to be sightings of him across the county. Apparently, so there you go. The Black Shuck, second on the list. Thetford Priory. Go back to what you just right. guessed. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that makes it easy. It's a monk. A ghostly monk <laughs> <laughs> is walking the ruins, descending stairs that aren't even there, Ooh. chanting and clinking keys. Hold off. Descending stairs that aren't even there is just that comedy thing that people do where they pretend to walk, <laughs> walk down behind a wall. Well, that might be what they've done. There's a lot of little bits of walls where people could do the little uh, bit behind it. You know, no, no, no. Uh, castle Rising. What do you reckon is a Castle Rising? So it's a castle, so I'm going to say it's probably a knight who has a really long sword that's too heavy for him to carry, so he has to drag it around behind him and he's got a constant he's in a constant state of 
annoyance with <laughs> the neighbours. The, the, the knight who had a constant state of annoyance. Again, I think that's another Sherlock Holmes book, but no, you're quite, well, you're not that close. Uh, the castle was once the 14th century home of Queen Isabella of England, the she-wolf who overthrew her husband and reigned on behalf of her son, Edward III. Mm. Visitors report hearing a cry with grief for her lover, Seeing a shadowy grey figure and even hearing the howling of a wolf. So a she-wolf, not a, a night, not an annoyed night, All right. um, but close. Uh, number four is Stiff Key Marshes. <laughs> right. Uh, any clue? So it's a marsh. So the, I'm going to say it's an animal. I'm going to say it is a flying bear. <laughs> The flying bear of Stiffkey Marshes. <laughs> Go, you were close. It is said that a girl named Nancy got lost in the marshes while searching for cockles after the tide, <laughs> after the tide had turned. Village, villagers searched for her with no luck. Body was found later on the marshes, but people still report hearing her cry out for help on foggy days. Mm. So flying bear would have been far sight better than Nancy, but <laughs> never mind. Nancy and her cockles is what we've gone with. And number five is Benham Priory. Binham Priory. Well, Priory, again, is going to be a church of some sort. Mm. I think this is a really sexy nun uh, who has been on the Hustler channel before mm-hmm. uh, doing semi-hardcore scenes. Yeah. And she acts them out, but in a sort of slapstick way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've got like, the anal bees out. Sort of like, yeah, like <laughs> Benny Hill kind of thing. Uh... Except more appropriate for 2022. <laughs> <laughs> She's a really politically correct ghost. Yeah. Of a of a nun, sexy yeah. nun. Sexy nun. She uses her her sexuality as an empowering statement. Oh yeah. Um and she chases a little fat man who looks like Benny Hill constantly around and when she catches him she Puts rips him to him. death. That oh. absolutely fucking ruins him. It's a bit like that. All right. Uh, would you say she would have worn a black hood? Yeah, I oh, mean, then that, it's uh, that's same. how I was picturing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then you've got it entirely right. A black hooded monk is said to haunt this 11th century Benedictine churchyard at night, emerging from a tunnel once linked to Walsingham. Do you know anything about Walsingham? I don't. Tell me about uh, it. It's in, it's in Norfolk. Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, I could have told I you that. I think Mary, I think that's, uh, Mother's Milk is hid there somewhere. Is that? I might have made that. Jesus's up. mother, is it? Yeah. Did Jesus's mother go to Norfolk and leave her milk there? Something what like a that. milk from her boob! I, I think I might. Have is made it this the up. milk that Jesus was supposed to sup on? <laughs> yeah. Do you think that just after Jesus was born, when the mother still had milk in her breast, she went to Norfolk? She put a bit in there. Yeah. No, there's a stone from I Jerusalem. Don't know. I, <laughs> sounds unlikely, doesn't it? But. I was brought up to believe that. No, I don't know. I can't remember. There's a there's a stone there. Christian lot go up there sometimes and walk around it. And I think people. But again, pil- can, let's be clear. Can we just be clear? Do the Christian people that go up there truly believe that Ma- Mary, the mother of Jesus, put some of her breast milk on a stone <laughs> in the middle of Norfolk? I, I in the year zero. I, I, <laughs> I have plucked this from my brain, and in the break because I'm going to pretend that we're going to have one. I am going to find out because either I've made up something really interesting or um, or that's true. Let's think about what's more likely. It's something something Christian. People go pilgrimages there. And, um, and, and this monk apparently goes to a tunnel there. And he comes from the tunnel playing haunting notes from a violin. That's it, really. There's no <laughs> story. <laughs> so there you go. There's five places. If you're in Norfolk or if I've in, in any way tantalised your fancy and you think... 
Four. They sound really good. Uh, I hope that flying bear's we're, there. We're all, we're all for tantalising fancies <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, and hopefully there'll be a better uh, Norfolk news story next week. But I'm excited about Halloween. I'm excited about haunted places in Norfolk. And I reckon oh, we should probably go see some. I think October's a good. wonderful time of the year. In it's that good, context. isn't it? Yeah. It's fucking good. We should watch some more horror movies. Yeah, it's the, it's the time for horror movies. It's the time for visiting haunted places. Uh, if you listen to it, did we talk about it on the last podcast or on the Patreon episode where we went to Shoreham? That was the last podcast. Oh, well, there that you go. That was breaking news. If you'll think back to last episode, we went to Shoreham by Sea and there was a Haunted Woods there. It's and all very fun. You should just go to these places and, and fucking experience the paranormal, whether you believe it's there or not. <laughs> Um, if you believe it's there, if you, even if you pretend it's there, you might feel... Because it tells you more about your own psychological exactly. makeup than ask it does what, about ghosts and ghoulies. Yeah, that's what the paranormal's about. If you want to believe is, it... That is, isn't it? Not, I mean, it's not what it's about to anyone that's interested in it, but yeah. Uh, and thinking <laughs> way, way more further back in our episodes, we did one about the season of Hillier. Oh, we did? And that's You entire- said that like that was a season of the year. What you mean is a television season. <laughs> we did two the series. The season of Hellier. The season of Hellier. We're entering the season of Hellier. After, Metro- of- after Mercury retrograded, we we entered Hellier. It's the season of Hellier. Um, well, that was right good. And that was pretty much about four people who very much believe that they're hunting things in the woods. And they fucking have a right old good time. And if you can believe it as much as they do, you too could have a really good time. It's true. Maybe go to Norfolk and believe you've met a sexy nun doing the things with anal beads or flying bear or whatever David said because um, that's better than all the ones I just read anywho I'm going to not drop this accent turns out and um, right. we're going to move on and play a song this song is from a band called Pink Suits and the song is called Fake Great Britain uh, they're a band from Margate and this is from their album Political Child which was out last year we got this song off of a compilation that our good friend Johnny from Riviera Kid made on his inner magic DIY records that he put out and it's very good so this is Pink Suits with Fake Great Britain <laughs> Much less than I should Lately I've been smoking Much more than I should Lately you're concerned for me Or so I heard you say Look around and ask yourself Is anyone okay living in this shit state Fascist state Taught to lie and taught to hate Taught to spy and taught it's great in fake Great great living in these harsh times Of hate crime Intolerance It's on the rise Austerity is in its prime in fake Great Britain Fucking hell out there, living in this shit state Fascist state, talk to life 
science What is great in fake, great Great living in these last times of hate crime Intolerance, it's on the rise Austerity is in its prime in fake, great We're living in this shit state Fascist state, taught to lie and taught to hate Taught to spy and taught is great in fake, great We're living in these last times of hate crime Intolerance, it's on the rise Austerity is in its prime in fake, great Hello to all our lovely Breakfast Punks podcast listeners. Did you know that you can now support us via our Patreon? We have a number of different tiers that you can support us on. And if you give £3 or more, then you will get an extra monthly episode of this very podcast in which you may hear such intellectual nuggets as these. What's the picture that you've taken of your penis where it looks at its very best? (laughs) (laughs) Would you get hard? You won the lottery. lottery. (laughs) (laughs) What's your controversial opinions? Social media is going to kill us. I quite like Gary Glitter. What the fuck? If you could finger one thing, what would you you finger? Oh, you're such a twat. I know. Please do a double fuck. Well, I think he accidentally got me in the, in the nether region. Well. I was like, I don't know about this birthday treat, but it feels a bit weird. Daniel Filth is on his first date there, furiously masturbating to someone's vaginal skin. Maybe I should have stuck with paedophiles. <laughs> so sign up now at patreon.com forward slash breakfast punks podcast. Thanks for your money. Welcome back to Breakfast Punks Podcast. So we're now going to move on to our main subject, which is the first in our series. Uh-huh. Inverted commas series. Poss- Undisclosed possible, amount. <laughs> possible series. Uh, which is going to be about lo-fi culture. Got the idea to do this because I just recently read a book which is called DIY, The Rise of Lo-Fi Culture by Amy Spencer. Uh, it is a book which came out at quite an interesting time in the context of probably most of what we're going to be talking about. It came out in about 2008. Mm-hmm. It's all about zines and music. And we're thinking we might even add a third strata to that, but you're going to have to wait and see yes. about that. And we may not do it. <laughs> so it depends. Thus, we're, we're keeping it we're, close to our We're going to be totally <laughs> making that one up off the top of our yeah. head. But it, I found it quite interesting because it was a, it was at a time in history... If you can even call 2008 history. I think at this point we can. Which, is which I think you have to. In which the world was very different. And so definitely in the con- the context of like doing stuff on a lo-fi basis. Mm-hmm. And we'll kind of get into what that means. Was just like changing. The internet was just starting to take over. In 2008 the internet existed and MySpace was probably big. And Facebook, I think, had just pretty much started, yeah. but it hadn't it hadn't kind of taken over everything as of yet. And so it was in a really different time. And so a lot of the concerns or even not or, or lack of concern mm-hmm. that existed in this book really interested me because a lot of it was about how the computer revolution is going to make lo-fi culture so much better and so much easier. And in a lot of ways, it has. And in a lot of ways, it it's just made it not really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, lo-fi culture, in the terms of how we're going to talk about it, is more or less, I think, it's fair to say, just anything that is done independently without monetary concerns mm-hmm. and without a great deal of skill. 
necessarily. Yeah, the was, skill thing is questionable. Yeah, I was maybe. about to say I was gonna I was gonna say that, and then I was like, oh, does that not downplay the people who? I think it's open to people with a minimal skill, but it's also open to people who have skill but didn't want to be influenced by other uh, things. Maybe like uh, I don't know, like in, within a corporate thing. For example, yeah. if you're writing, they want to be able to. They may have all the skill to write, but they want to write exactly what they want to say and not what the company wants them to say that they work for. Yeah, that's I, th- I think I think that's probably true. But then there's definitely loads of there's it. It almost doesn't matter, but yeah. there is loads of kind of grey within that. Yeah, it's like if you're a professional journalist and you choose to self-publish, I don't know if you could describe that as lo-fi, but it's such an obscure mm, yeah, concept, and it's such a like I might say, well, this is lo-fi, and you might say, well, that isn't lo-fi, and, it, yeah. and that's an argument that we're not going to have. And, and I'm, I don't think it's a very interesting discussion. No, to have, no, fair enough. I think that we're really keen on inclusion in how we talk about things, mm-hmm. both us as people and also just the modern world is very. Yeah. But at some point, you do have to say, if you're going to say this is punk, at some point you have to acknowledge that something else is not punk. Yeah. Otherwise, so it becomes criteria. completely pointless. Yeah, yeah. And in a lot of ways, there is an argument or a discussion to be had about what is lo-fi, what is independence, what is DIY. Yeah. And and it, the book has quite a lot of those sorts of discussions. I don't think that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I do think that we have to acknowledge that we cannot be inclusive. You can't just say anything is lo-fi. Just because you can't Mm -hmm. say anything is independent or anything is DIY. Because one of the examples that I thought of was when Richard Branson started Virgin, right? He started it with one Uh little record shop. Yeah. Was that... When is the change? Yeah, if you take that record shop, was that a DIY enterprise? Because he definitely opened it as a business. He was an entrepreneur who wanted to be a business person. Everyone's DIY at one point. Well, not everyone, but but a lot of these businesses are. But are they? And so that's what I'm trying to say. There's no point in being inclusive about Mm. it. You've got to say at some point... The, these are our criteria. In our opinion, this is our criteria of what lo-fi yeah. is. And I'm going to say, I'm just going to say it, you know, I in my criteria of what lo-fi is are those things that I just said. It's yeah. things that have no monetary gain. Uh, they may make money by default. But that's not the point. But that isn't the point. Yeah. And that are made in a non-professional way. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way. And I think the interesting thing about what's happened between when Zine started all the way through up until when this book was written and then now today, is mm-hmm. that what professional means has changed, possibly. Mm-hmm. That's because true. it's so much easier to be professional. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where we're going with the discussion. Uh, and it's like I say, it could go over a long period of time or it might not. But we're mm-hmm. going to do this first one on zines and the small press. Yeah. So my understanding of zines and small press um, would be people who are kind of cut pasting their ideas together usually photocopying or that kind of style i mean from the booklets i've seen like that kind of style self-publishing where people are yeah writing their thoughts about a thing maybe something they particularly like or something that interests them uh sticking it all together and they're just like photocopying it stapling it all together and then either giving it away or selling it for extraordinarily cheap yeah um, i think and i guess pre-internet it would have been things that you could send in the post find out about via probably quite underground networks of things it wouldn't have been like the mainstream thing and i guess zine is just short for magazine but it's just something that's produced very economically and kind of meagerly like it's it's quite basic to look at but there's a lot of scope within that i think that's definitely the practical elements of Mm. making a zine but then there's other sides to it there's more obscure sides to it and one of those is probably more about a community thing which is that zines definitely started as a way for people with niche and strange ideas mm. and interests to 
tell other people I've got this strange interest yeah. in this thing and then hopefully find other people with that interest yeah. to, who would then and then there was an awful lot of the zine was like a starting point for people to write letters to each other yeah in a lot have of pen ways pals and stuff. how did I often wonder this being as this was pre-internet and pre many methods of communication that we have now that are joining people all over the world how did people find out about because it's, it's one thing to have a niche interest but how do you find out about someone else having that niche interest via the scene how do you find the zine in the first place i mean i can't, i don't know if i can answer that entirely the first zine to my understanding that ever got made uh, or the first bunch of zines that were ever being made were sort of science fiction mm. fanzines and that was in the 1930s and 40s yeah. i mean that's how long ago it goes and i suppose you would have potentially advertised them in the back of science fiction magazines yeah so there was already like that common interest that was a bit more easily accessible and then find it that way and then but then from that point onwards zines themselves over the course of then what we're probably talking about 50 years more or less i mean the 80s and 90s were the were the era of the zine Mm. um or yeah and the 70s um the zines themselves became something that people were interested in yeah like the culture around it as well yeah sort of as a thing and it was reclaimed at the earliest point of punk okay so the first zines as we probably know them or would would be aware of them were music zines so in that oh, okay. context the way that you get those out is obviously again you could advertise in music papers but also and I, and this was true of when i was a teenager people used to just come to gigs with 50 copies of their own zine and try and oh, sell really? them to people that's how i got most of my first that would make i guess that makes sense it's kind of you do it with flyering for gigs it's like oh you're interested in this you'll probably be interested in this and i guess zines would make total sense to do it there especially if it's music but uh, then but then there was lots of other things so i mean we i don't think we can go into too much history of this stuff because mm. i don't necessarily think it's the interesting thing but it is an interesting history and i would recommend anybody sort of reading about it what happened was when zines started to spring up in the 80s there was something called fact sheet five which oh, okay. reviewed zines And so it started off reviewing like 10 on one sheet of A4 and then sending that out to like 100 people. But so surely that grew into, I don't know, like thousands and thousands of copies being produced with hundreds and hundreds of different zines in them being reviewed. So there was a lot and there was more than just that. I think that was the most famous one, but there was other ones. And, and, And again, even when I was a kid, there was... In 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 bigger fanzines, like say so, the way I found a lot of fanzine was in Maximum Rock and Roll, which mm-hmm. was a fanzine, but it was more or less a magazine. Yeah, there were zine reviews. I think there still are zine reviews. Okay, uh, even on there now, they're, they're only online, but I still think they do zine reviews. And so you would literally, it would say at the bottom, "Here's the address, and it costs this much post postpaid," and you would just send cash in the yeah. post to them, and then they would send you the zine. And then I think it's one of those things, like with all DIY punk, if you bought one, if you bought one record from an independent record label, inside the record was often like 20 flyers for other independent mm, record mm-hmm. labels or that other that record label's other releases or, or they would be running a distro or something. So there would be... It's like this daisy chain that you, you find yeah. other things via. Yeah, totally. Of your kind of common interest. Yeah, now that makes total sense. I just always wondered, like, because of these niche interests that people have, how they found each other, but... Once you found each other, you then continue to find other things, I guess. Well, I suppose also, though, just to think about, I mean, one of the the biggest movements within zine culture during the sort of more than 90s, I suppose, was um, late 80s as well, was the riot girl scene Mm -hmm. and the queer core scene. And in both cases, if you think about it, if you have 
if you are queer in the 80s and 90s mm. or equally if you are a girl in the 80s and 90s and you're desperately looking for other people who are like you yeah then it means that you have to seek them out yeah right and this is one of the reasons why the world is so different now in comparison to what it was when zines were being made mm. in the classic era of zines is that now there's no need for that whatsoever you just find a facebook group or yeah. you find whatever reddit and you feed can do it in whatever. seconds yeah uh, but whereas so then that you really had to it was like well i'm the only queer in my school see mm. and uh, and i live in a little town and i've absolutely no idea i don't know what i don't know what you know i've no idea about the culture yeah. that i that i want to be a part of or to some extent and this is this is the the queer core scene more or less came directly out of this is that i I'm going to mainstream gay clubs and I'm not happy in those places mm. because they're mainstream and, you know, that's not my people. But yeah. I'm going to punk gigs and I don't feel comfortable there either. That's not my people either. So yeah. how am I going to find people with both of these interests? Yeah. And actually that one person, well, two people really, but I can't remember the other one's name. Bruce LaBruce, who is a, a great filmmaker um, later on, but he started a fanzine with somebody else. I really can't remember his name. And that was like the first or one of the first queer core uh, mm. fanzines and that was literally why they did it they were like we are both these people I think they were from Canada somewhere mm. we don't fit into either scene we hate both of these scenes so on the one hand we want to scream and shout about how much we hate both of these yeah. things that we, we, we've got two options we can go to a mainstream gay club and be annoyed with those people or we can go to a punk gig and be annoyed with those people yeah. so what we're going to do is Partly just to get out our frustrations, we're going to make this fanzine and talk about all of this stuff. Yeah. But also, we want to create a, new a scene, scene whereby we can exist and be happy and be comfortable. And of course, yeah. at, at the time, well, it did it did exist fairly soon after that, to some extent, probably on a very small level. But of course, if you look at the course of history, that's we've kind of we've kind of got closer to that sort mm -hmm. of utopian ideal. Now, much closer than they were then. Much way closer. Way I mean, closer. there was just no, and the same with Riot Girl. Exactly yeah. the same with Riot Girl. One of the reasons why that why zines were so important with that was partly just because it was a creativity thing yeah. and a communication thing, but also it was like this idealized way of looking at the world. It was yeah. like this is what we want the world to look like, so we're going to write about it so that we can make a world that looks like that. Yeah. And I truly believe, although it's like a tiny seed that has grown over the course of the last. 30 years mm -hmm. that both of those things were the first seed that kind of led to where we are now which is in no way perfect but is we again we're much closer to that sort of utopian idea for sure they were the first people to make a big big shout about it and yeah. they got you know they got a lot of hate for it but they got a lot of people that found each other because of it and they go on to you yeah you're totally right to go on to eventually leak into the rest of the ideals that uh the next generations have and yeah totally with far closer to it now but there is a big question there and this is probably the crux of the conversation that we're going to have today mm. there is a big thing there is that that's quite an idealized version what i've just described is quite an idealized version which mm. i think has some facts in it but you could definitely argue that the only reason we've managed to get to a slightly more utopian place in say 2022 in relation to the queer scenes and and uh, feminist scenes mm. is the internet is that actually yeah. if, if the internet had never come about, or social media or con connectivity generally, yeah. if that had never come about, I think it's fair to say that we wouldn't be where we're at now. And no. again, let me be clear, where we're at now isn't perfect. Like it's but, far easier to find out information about all of these things and it's far easier to share them, but it's also far easier to do that in a bit more of a mindless manner as opposed to be quite yeah. dedicated and... Uh, 
or actually inform yourself properly. It's quite. But, it's easier to share something than to seek something out and read it yeah. properly. But also, I think if you look at all of the let's let's describe it as work. Let's describe yeah. it as as from from point A to point B. All of the work that the riot girl scene did yeah. over the course of from the from nineteen ninety through till. 2008 let's say I'm just going to grab that as a year because that's when this book was written yeah all of that work that they did all of all uh, however far they got in pushing their agenda yeah probably on the day that everybody started using social media in a really like constructive way yeah was probably more was done within a week than they'd done on the on the 30 years before. Do you know what I mean? Just because immediately everyone yeah. was completely connected. So and I'm not belittling it. To of course to it did. There, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. really not belittling I, it. But I do get what you mean. But I, I bring that up not, not to belittle it, but because it's like, well, to me, though, the way of doing it with a zine mm. was so much more creative and so much more special and so much more heartfelt mm. than that week or I'm just picking a week as a random yeah. period of time that week spent on Facebook joining groups that were like queers in whatever town you live in yeah you know and I think that's the dichotomy that we were, we were sort of thinking that we were going to discuss really yeah I described it rather ridiculously at one point as like lo-fi culture in a hi-fi world <laughs> You know, which it is really, like a it's a really twatty way of putting <laughs> it, but it's kind of true. It's like, but people are still making zines. Yeah. And so another question is why? Yeah, why Why are people still making zines now? And are they important? Because there was definitely a time when they were so important, but what's the importance of them now? Uh, especially in a world where, like we said, the internet's there. You can find out about things so immediately. But because of that, how much thought does one put into it how much energy does one put into finding out about a cause now when you can do it so quickly and you can probably forget about it as quickly as you found out about it well i think that we watched a film which is called a hundred dollars and a t-shirt mm-hmm. and uh, the film was made uh, in 2004 so mm-hmm. i mean again similar sort of time to the book i mean that's just by chance really i just happened to have the film and it yeah. was about zines and i thought it would help and it was made by microcosm publishing which is uh portland-based publishers who pretty much kind of took on the role of like professionally publishing people's zines yeah which again and we don't need to get into this too much but that was like a slightly confusing thing because a lot of these well not a lot a few of these people were actually making livings from writing zines and then i think microcosm was a business like they had four or five employees and they were just Mm. set they were publishing and selling zines and they still exist and what they publish now is much more like just books slick, yeah yeah uh, slick is probably pushing it but it is yeah, definitely. i mean it's slick compared to people who would have been just photocopying it at their yeah. like dad's work prior to that yeah because i guess we do reckon microcosm started as like an honest distribution or was it always our point is to more professionally publish people's writing no i mean they always presented themselves as being very moral the idea mm. was to get the message out to more people yeah. and, and in fairness that's nice. exactly what they yeah. did there is a there is an overlap there. I'm going to bring up Rage Against the Machine again. <laughs> there is an overlap there between that thing of like we signed to a major label in order to get our message out to more people. Yeah. And so it's questionable as to whether that worked. And of course, Microcosm started just at the time where the internet was getting bigger. So therefore, they were selling online. Yeah. They had a shop. I think they might still have a shop in yeah. Portland. And oh, um, yeah. well, they started out, I think, as zine makers themselves. Okay. Uh, who yeah. ran a distro, which was quite normal. 
Yeah. Uh, they talk about, there's a few of them actually in that documentary, about people that had started running distros. And their idea was quite moral, I think. Yeah. The idea was to get the ideas out to more people. Mm. And I think get them into shops. I think they managed to get actual proper distribution. Oh, okay. And so whilst I'm sure the zines themselves, as in the little booklets that were being made, didn't get out that far, but they did turn a lot of them into like omnibus books. Oh, okay. So like this zine, the first 10 issues of or whatever. Right. And those actually did get into bookshops. So I think there was a an element of, yeah, just getting, getting ideas getting out, out there. there. Okay. But going back to the film, there's a section in it where they talk about the reasons why people start zines. And, mm. of course, it's very much based on why people would start zines in 2004 as opposed mm. to why people would start zines in 2022, which yeah. I think is what we've got to get on to. <laughs> um, but they talk about a lot of things. I mean, one of them is what we've just described, is just getting sort of uh, alternative messages out there. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of more, much more personal reasons why people make zines. I think when you talk about things like Riot Girl and Queercore, whilst that was a lot of individuals making a fanzine, there was a bigger picture involved to some extent. Whereas the vast majority of zines, probably from from the creation of them, from the 1930s onwards, the vast majority of zines is just a person wanting to talk to the world in some way, often... Often fairly geeky, nerdy people. Yeah, Often... I mean, I definitely got the nerd vibe from that documentary. Yeah, yeah very much. Bless. <laughs> and I imagine people whose social lives at the time were probably not very fulfilling. Um, I do think mm. that there's a, there's two separate sides to that, though, because there's also there, there's there's zinesters in that context. There is overlap between this. There's zinesters in that context. But there's also, like, punks of mm. all types for a long time also made zines yeah. that was like a thing that people would do if you couldn't be or if some people some people were in bands and stuff but if you couldn't be in a band you didn't want to run a record label you did a zine yeah and well, so those what... people weren't necessarily those nerdy geeky mm. people writing about their feelings they yeah. were people that were making like magazines about tiny diy bands yeah but the reason that people made zines i think was probably like a creative urge and that's definitely something that they said in the documentary Mm. and also just giving themselves a voice like i say these people are probably quite cut off in a way and those things have been completely fulfilled by social media in the modern world yeah and and i think um one of the people in the documentary mentioned this she just uh she says it more about what you say and not how you say it but she said nowadays people can just anyone can write something so it's quite it's freeing in that respect Mm, like anyone can do it now but you can do it immediately and with very little thought or creativity. So now you can just log on to Facebook and share your thoughts. You can write a whole bloody essay on there if you like. You don't have to. You don't even have to read it twice to make sure it even makes sense. You can just press play and and it's and it's done. And everyone and more people than have probably ever read some of these zines can see it immediately. Mm. But how much thought and effort went into that? And specifically effort. You've put no effort into it in as much as formulating it, creating it. Um, or rereading it. Rereading it. Yeah. And I think there's something really tangible about creating a paper document that you've had to sit and put thought into, like, not into just what you're going to say, but, like, what, what font are you going to... This sounds all very pathetic things, but, like, what font are you going to use? How how big is it going to be? Are you going to cut out extra like, images to put on there? Where are you going to get those images? And why have you picked those images? And are you going to have a background to it? And is it going to be... How are you going to unfold this thing? And is there going to be a really weird, interesting, like, upside-down bit that challenges the person to, like, have to really engage with it? 
And it's, all of those things are lost when you just paste a Facebook post in 10 seconds that you didn't have to think about. Well, and I think it's even more tactile than how you've described it as well, because you just use the word font. Like the vast, well, not vast majority, mm. but a good chunk of zines were handwritten. Yeah. Or typewritten, I suppose. Yeah. Almost to the point that it got a bit annoying <laughs> well i bet was that a was hipstery a, to, i bet that was a bit it. cool for a bit because there's someone in the in the documentary even makes a thing out of that like oh they've just typed it mm. how fucking like impersonal yeah, i no, write yeah. everything yeah and i bet there's like um not stuck up in this but there's yeah. a there's a no yeah, totally i mean the thing of... the the weird thing about watching this film i haven't watched it for years i bought mm. it probably at the time it came out and i haven't pr- pretty much watched it since one of the weird things is that I remember when I watched this film in 2004 thinking, God, these people are so cool. Like Portland, oh. Portland this just looks so awesome. I went to Portland not, not long after this and I went yeah. to all the places in this documentary just because they'd been in it, probably. Yeah. Um, and because I was just interested in that sort of stuff. And it's weird to watch it now because they're definitely not cool people. And yeah, I mean, a lot of them are, are definitely quite stuck up. And they, they, yeah. a lot of uh, what zine culture was was kind of like, oh, we're so alternative and we're so yeah. weird and no one accepts us. But oh, there's almost, there's a pecking order within that. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm even less accepted than you are. You know? well, maybe I think we still have that in the modern world, maybe. But uh, But it was very obvious watching this. And that's true. And maybe we should talk about the community side of it a little bit then. Because... Obviously, they are these are people that are trying to find each other, mm. and then they have found each other. And but there's still issues. Um, they still have people who. I mean, one of the girls says it quite clearly. She's just like people who write zines still aren't immune from being horrible people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people are still rapist abusers. They're still sexist. They're still stuck up. Um, and I think one of the people <laughs> reads a bit from a um, a zine. And she goes, yeah, this was written by like a child molester from prison. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like yeah, anyone someone, can say whatever pre- they want. Who wrote a wrote a zine as a teenage girl? Yeah, that was actually a child abuser from prison. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. just like anyone, like there's still problems within it, but yeah, it's still presented in this, and I think you use the word idealistic um, way. One of the ways they talk about that is, don't they have um, like? not conventions that's probably um symposiums symposium oh what a, what a less pretentious word to call well, a the, so zine symposiums <laughs> were a really they were a big thing yeah uh, so there was a london zine symposium uh, for about go? eight years or something i think i went to most of them yeah almost well all done. of them definitely <laughs> um and zine symposiums were definitely places so there's a weird bit in the film where they're talking about how there's loads of people that they write letters to yeah or they swap zines with yeah. and they're kind of like friends Little, probably very similar to a lot of people that are friends on Facebook oh, gosh, but don't necessarily yeah. see each other in real life. Oh, and if you do see each other in real life, you're like, oh, well, I don't actually know them. And, well, the and, other that's, way. and that's exactly how they describe this. It's like <laughs> all of these people that I've been writing letters to all the time and then I meet up with them and I'm like, we've got nothing to say to each other. Yeah. And partly, partly that is because these people are obviously not entirely sociable animals. Mm. And I think there is something to be said about if someone spends hours and hours and hours of their life cutting and pasting and writing words yeah. on their own, uh, and photocopying them and then sending them to people in the post. Yeah. And I don't say this in a bad way. I'd put myself in this category. They're probably not that comfortable in large groups of people, <laughs> like, you know. Um, and so it's weird because it's a type of communication which, which is almost like anti-real communication. Yeah. But I remember anyway, I remember going to the London Zine Symposium and it always felt, it felt like going to a hipster gig in Shoreditch yeah 
it felt like everybody thought that they were cooler than you. But of course, in hindsight, looking back on it, it wasn't that everyone, everyone was that. It was yeah. that everybody thought that everybody else thought that they were cooler yeah, than them. Yeah, everyone's got it self-esteem was, issues playing out yeah, wildly. Exactly. And I wasn't even some. I didn't even, I, you know, I bought a lot of fanzines and stuff and I wrote letters sometimes to people, but I wasn't involved in that scene in no. that way. I was just interested in it, really. So I didn't quite have that level of awkwardness. But I do mm. remember once somebody wanting to take... He ran a distro or something, and he wanted to take some copies of an album that I'd made. Mm-hmm. And we'd sort of been... I think that by this time we were on the internet, and I think we'd been emailing back and forth. And it was, and the emails were always sort of really friendly and really mm-hmm. great. And then when I actually had to go to his stall at a London symposium <laughs> and give him these copies of the album, it was one of the most awkward for both of us. Yeah. And it was my fault too, like one of the most awkward social interactions I've ever had. Because oh. it was just sort of like, oh, yeah, I've got those here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> and then like and then like silence for ages and then all right bye yeah, bye then yeah. cool <laughs> uh, but then like two weeks later you'll write to each other again like oh yeah no your album was really good oh yeah no i really like your zine but what does You're that like, remind oh. you of uh facebook entirely isn't it <laughs> yeah like a hundred percent the fake uh the fake friendships that are made well it's not even it's not fake that's just being rude but it's it's but it's not real mm. i mean fake is the opposite it is not real but yeah no it's definitely it's definitely and it's interesting to see that because my thinking on zines prior to seeing that documentary would have been it's all far more real and these people are really genuinely finding each other. But it is interesting to find that they had the same issues that we're having now yeah. in a, uh, with even less realism. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think as well, you can put a lot... I, and maybe this is trickery. When something gets put down on paper, particularly if it's inverted commas published, even mm. if it's like self-published, even if it's just photocopied or whatever... Mm. It, it suddenly be, becomes almost more, or in my eyes maybe, I, I, but I think probably in most people's eyes, it's suddenly more legitimate than, mm. let's say, a Facebook post. Mm-hmm. Even though really, in lots of ways, the two are completely the same. But there is yeah. there is positives and negatives there. So there is that thing that you just said that someone talked about in the documentary about how if you're going to actually publish something, you reread it, you think about it yeah. a lot. It's a It's a for want of a better description, a piece of literature in some yeah, ways. that you're thoughtful about. Yeah, whereas I think we deal with Facebook in a very different way. Yeah, it's a bit more immediate. Like, this is, this sprung to my mind. I must share it immediately. I mean, it literally says on Facebook what's on your mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah for the, for yeah, the posts. Yeah. So it's not asking for <laughs> thought or in-depth. It's just, well, tell me something, uh, spit something out at me and so everyone can hear it without you to think about Philosophically, the it. question, what is on your mind, if dealt with... In, it depends how you deal. That's Facebook the thing. does not want you no, to deal with it the way. It, you, of course, <laughs> the it does. Nice way. No, but this is really what I want to talk about. So we'll get to that. But Let's before we it. do, let me just let me just say this because yep. I think this is probably a closer twinning between mm-hmm. digital and analog in a lot of ways, and that is um, personal zines or p zines, as they often. Oh, was that a thing? A p zine. So there was lots of these around. The ones I want to specifically talk about, which I find quite interesting, are the ones which were written by tough boy hardcore kids in the late 90s and the early noughties. Yeah. And here's why. And I've got loads of these. Have you got them? Loads of them. Oh, my gosh. And the most famous one was a zine which is called Antimatter, which was written by a guy called Norm Arenas, who was the guitarist in Texas The Reason. Okay. And, and was in Shelter and was in loads of bands. And so he was around the New York hardcore scene. He himself was gay and but obviously was in an extremely macho environment mm. all the time. But um, he made this fanzine called Antimatter, which was him interviewing people from hardcore bands about their emotions. Okay. And it's such an interesting read because it is literally like these 
people that if you saw a video of them, it's you know, it's the karate kicking yeah, lot, yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the skinheads, it's if the one like who are fighting on the streets. If you'd like to go back to our podcast about New York hardcore, yeah. you can find out all I about I might have them. even brought this up at the time, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I think you might have. Yeah, maybe. It's good, it's good. But, um, but there was a lot of this where it was like these people that were fundamentally like their their stage persona was like tough boys. Yeah. But they had, but they wrote these really well. In in antimatter, it was, it was interviews, and they were giving these really emotional interviews about talking about like when was the last time you cried was a was the question that he always asked everybody. Okay, and it's really interesting to read. I have mm. to say, I love it. There's a book now. There's a um, they put them all together in a book. Oh, amazing! And I think you can still get hold of it. And it's really cool. And it's all like your favorite bands if you like New York hardcore. You know, there's members Aww. of Bold and Shelter and Youth of Today and all that. Sort very of stuff. intrigued. Very intrigued. It's really cool, but. Also, on top of that, there was absolutely loads and loads of people of a similar ilk that just wrote their own zines. And this was true in the UK hardcore scene. Mm -hmm. It was true in the American hardcore scene. It was true everywhere. It became quite cool to write these incredibly, almost like overly emotional fanzines. Mm -hmm. And it went very much along with like the emo core movement and stuff like that. And it would be like their loneliest moments and a lot of i i would guess that some of it was probably overly dramatic like some yeah. of it was people tr- trying to live up to yeah it was this this weird dichotomy where it was like here i am a tough boy that plays in a tough hardcore band and it was all boys and mm-hmm. it was all white boys mm-hmm. here i am a tough boy who plays in a hardcore band but i need to show myself to be incredibly open and emotional in my fanzine yeah. And there was so much of that around at the time. So and it was weird. such an interesting thing. Now, I definitely don't see that in the hardcore scene of today on any level. I don't think that there's those expectations. And again, I do think some of it was cosplaying. Some of it was mm. people saying, like, I've got to be seen in this way. So therefore, I'm almost going to make shit up. I'm going to say, oh, my girlfriend dumped me and here's all my thoughts about it. But I'm going to really, yeah, really push this. I do really genuinely think, uh, you know, we don't often talk about tough white boys feelings but Mm -hmm. um i think that it made our it made our scene better it made our society better because it it put this weird expectation on people that otherwise would be karate kicking people in the face and trying to get into fights with people yeah to tell everyone about their emotions and there was two good sides to this and i think this is probably a lot of why zines are good one of them is because it gave them an outlet a Mm -hmm. creative outlet to actually talk about their feelings Mm -hmm. in a way that i don't think that we have now really i don't think that you i think people talk about it on facebook in a very superficial level but it's not like it's you don't write the sort of shit that people used to write in fanzines on facebook i I think it's like the expectation is there like oh look you can say what you want on here and people will support you but you're right it's not a full I think certain people... It's not a healthy way of doing it, But I I think also, and I don't say this in a bad way, I think some people use Facebook in that way and some people don't use Facebook in that way. And I think that if you look in probably most people's friendship groups, the people that use Facebook in that way are almost like the people that you would expect to use Facebook in that way. It's not like, here's here's the tough boy that you don't really know very well where he's writing all about his feelings on Facebook. The tough boy stays the tough boy because that's his. That's what he's cosplaying at the yeah, moment. Yeah. And, and whereas the emotional person that talks about mental health a lot, they they're the emotional person that talks about mental health a lot. But all, we all sit in little groups, I think, more so now even than I, we did then. Yeah, but I think also those things are useful if it leads to something more. And I'm not, I don't want to accuse Facebook of not being real, but it's not very real. And I think those things are all really useful if it leads to something productive. So mm. that zine, I imagine, then gives 
people who listen to hardcore music, the tough white boys who go and watch these shows, permission. Yeah, to well, that's then... the second. But that's really the oh, second positive point, I think. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah but yeah. then it gives it gives them permission to talk about it in their real life, and it almost expects it that of them, though. Yeah, which I think as human beings we need that expectation. What most of us do is we sort of just do what everyone else does around us, mm. and so therefore. If everyone around us is talking about their deepest emotions, then most people just join in with that. Yeah. And they jump on board with that. But I would say... Because we're human beings. Yeah, but I think think the zines probably make it more um, real. I think Facebook does the opposite. I think it's really divisive. I think it leads some people to be like, oh, you want to overshare? I'm going to fuck it. Here's everything. Yeah. But some people get really not into that. And they're like, actually, no, I don't like this. And some people get really... um, offended by it Mm. so some people will throw around probably quite not very nice comments about people who share like that online um and they're and they're probably sharing even less to their closest family like they're probably sharing nothing anywhere i don't know i just don't think it i think there's i think there's something else possibly slightly more complicated going on as well and this is quite a hard thing to to describe i think Mm. but it's probably the main point that i want to make is that Social media has standardised the way in which we tell each other things Yeah. in a way that if you take personal zines as an example, as one way that people almost operated in a similar way to how social media operates in all of our lives now. Mm-hmm. Personal zines were these things that are sort of a small group of weirdos were able to use as a way to communicate. And as yeah. a result of that, in an artistic way, and they were often people with an artistic bent and things, and as a result of that, they were free to more or less write about and talk about things, both anything that they wanted, but also in, in a way that they wanted. Yeah. So it was very free. There was no like rules on a, on a fanzine. It was, that was like the antithesis of the mm. idea of it. Whereas in a lot of ways, you could argue that what Facebook is and has possibly always been is just like we've all now suddenly got personal zines. Yeah. That's what we've got. So now yeah. now all the things that we once put in or a handful of people put into personal zines yeah now we've all just got this thing and the problem is with a a mass of people having this thing is that it like evens the edges out Mm -hmm. so therefore there becomes this standardized way of writing and again talking about that thing of how human beings just join in with whatever the thing is that they see everyone else do yeah the problem is with facebook is you've kind of gone You've got this opportunity. What did you say the thing says? How do you feel today? Yeah, what's on your mind? What's on your mind, right? Now, like I say, that question, what's on your mind, could be so many different things, Mm. right? That text box on Facebook could be fucking anything, Yeah. right? It could be as creative as you want. It could be anything. You could could decide tomorrow, I'm going to pretend to be someone else, and I'm just going to write it from their perspective. You could write a short story. You could write a poem. You could write anything and then on put on top of that videos and pictures and everything yeah. those things could be anything yeah. look at tiktok tiktok videos are just yeah. like here's a space of a however many minutes this Get could creative. be anything doesn't matter what you could do fucking anything with this space yeah and what do people do they dance in front of their phone on tiktok video their cats the, listening yeah, to fart <laughs> like, noises and there's nothing wrong with that don't get me wrong but it's like that can't be everybody's interest people must have weird uh, ideas they must have weird thoughts that they want to get out there and and I suppose my question is is that zines were that place that you could do that if you were yeah. writing a personal zine you were just like 
I've got this idea and I want to put it down yeah. and I don't know how I'm going to do it so I'm just going to be me and just see how it yeah. is. Even if you were play acting a bit, even if you were overplaying your emotions or underplaying mm. your emotions or whatever, obviously there was an element of it which was performative no matter what. In fact, a, a big element of it was performative. But the difference is, is that within Facebook, the edges have all just been reduced down to like, here is the acceptable face of... So you want to talk about your emotions. You want to talk about mental health. Well, you're allowed to talk about it, but with it, it's got to be like briefish. First of all, people aren't gonna yeah. people aren't gonna read two thousand words here. This is Facebook. Mm. It's got to be done in in a few sentences. I, or again, like I don't want to moan about selfies, <laughs> but why is that the go to? You know, I understand particularly for a younger generation that selfies are a way of communicating with each other they're a way of communicating yourself as a person through how you look in a world where we're not looking at each other anymore we're looking at versions of each other on our phone Mm. and that's fine there isn't anything directly wrong with that but my question is and I'm not saying that's the only picture that gets shared anywhere but why is that the majority of pictures that you see on social media when again you have a space to put fucking anything. Anything, yeah. And that's, I think that's the difference between zines. It's not uh, like a personal zine and a per- and Facebook, which is basically your own personal zine. Yeah. The difference is, is that Facebook, whilst we don't necessarily acknowledge it, and, and in official terms it doesn't have this, it has loads of boundaries on it, I yeah. think. They're, they're unsaid boundaries. They're, I was going to say it's unsaid and, it, and you're held accountable by, by other people that use Facebook. It's not really it as a concept it's more maybe parameters is a better word than boundaries it's like you have these set parameters that you kind of if you want to discuss something it needs to be within a set of parameters otherwise a probably no one's going to read it but also b i mean i'm someone who's shared poetry on social media and Mm -hmm. trust me that's not i don't think that makes anyone comfortable (laughs) <laughs> I don't you know other than other it's definitely poets, not a reason not to do it <laughs> you know no no but it's it's this weird thing it's like it's like people don't react I don't think people can take because you go on you don't like me included like everybody is like this if you go on Facebook you don't expect somebody to write something weird and that's probably a bit more about the physicalities of a zine you have to seek it out whereas Facebook you're thrown it at you, you you know you've got control over who you're friends with but yet you've probably accepted shitloads of friend requests over the years so whilst you have control over it you've got a litany of people that are just there that you're not actually interested in what they have to say at all I yet think that's you, the majority of yeah but what, you're but yeah. you're going to be faced with it no matter what when you log on whereas a zine is you have to go and seek out something you're interested in um, and some people could say that that's the idea of Facebook groups and you could again you could curate your Facebook page to only show you things you are interested in but that'll take fucking forever um, and no one does that so yeah I think I think you're totally right on Facebook you're just faced with things that you're uh, possibly not expecting thus these parameters get set because it's like what's the norm what is everyone sort of expecting to see and like you say oh you want to talk about how you feel well people will probably only really accept it if it's like this and if you do anything outside of that well, you're you either weird at the very you're, least. you're scary or your attention seeking if you do it any way that's big and outrageous. And of course, but of course, people do people, people do use social media to attention seek as well. Yeah, so I mean, it's not well. It's kind of but the point of it. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, what is what are all these things? Well, I mean, what's a fucking podcast? What are we doing? Well, now, I was about to say this is. I mean, we're we're doing is, but then, but that's the other thing. So you were saying that there are spaces on uh, not Facebook really, but like TikTok, 
specifically TikTok probably, I don't really understand it, but where you could be creative. And I think there are people that are. Oh, let me be clear. People are being creative on all social media platforms. I don't mean to suggest that no one is being creative in any way. What I'm saying is is that it's not the norm. It's not the norm. It's not the norm to sit down at Facebook and think to yourself, I'm going to write a short story today and just post it for all my friends to read. True, true, true. But I think there's some there's some platforms and some uh, medias that are more useful for that. I'm sure there's so much bad on TikTok, but I think that but, uh, you have to dig through it. But I think if you search for things, you could find things. If you sort them out, mm. you could find the things. The same way you'd have to if you were looking for a zine. You could find the things that are interesting and on there. Um, the same with podcasts. Those podcasts are shit, but you do have to find the ones you want to listen to. Uh, and... <laughs> There's some creativity to it, I guess. It's some version of zines. I don't know. Well, I was going to ask. Giving I was us gonna, a lot so, of credit. No, I was going to ask you about that really because, get, in a lot of ways, I think I think what is what is the zine in 2022? And let me be clear, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. But I mean, obviously, people are still making zines in 2022, yeah. unquestionably. And in fact, it's quite a popular thing. I think it's different. Yeah. But anyway, the equivalent of the sort of personal zine or the old school, like just punk zine or yeah. whatever. I think podcast is probably the thing that comes closest to it. Yeah, in a lot I think of ways. so. But one of the things that I was thinking a lot about when we were talking about social media there mm-hmm. is going back to that idea that to make a zine takes a lot of effort. Yeah. You have to sit down for a long time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the thinking about what you're going to write. But even if you just wrote it stream of consciousness, after the fact, there's an awful lot of stuff you've got to yeah. do you've, to get from point A to point yeah. to point my zine is finished. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's true of podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. But I would say, whilst we do prepare for this, it may not be obvious, we do prepare quite a lot for this for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, what we're doing is just ri- we're just talking off the top Riffing. of our head. Yeah. And if we weren't, it would be fucking weird if we were reading from a script or something. I mean, yeah. A, I mean, we've it, tried it, over preparing. It would this never before, And you probably heard those ones; they're not that great. But in a lot of ways, that's the equivalent of the. Facebook. That's exactly yeah. what we're talking about with Facebook. It's just yeah. that instantaneous. Uh, it's it's just a thought Stream has jumped into my head and now it's now yeah, it's out there and everyone's got to listen to it. So maybe we should just give up doing. This I mean, podcast. there is a meme that is like um, I've seen before, which is a picture of a, a person playing guitar and it's like um, puts loads of effort into studio album, fine tuning all the da 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 da, and then it's like another meme of podcasters and it's just like macho boys it's pictures of dogs as macho boys sit around a table going yeah and then I ate this and then I did that and it's like. Oh shit! Are we shitting on the creativity of, of of people that spend a lot of time thinking and doing things? I mean, maybe I, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm sort of just on better. the back foot by you saying that. But I mean, I feel like I mean, we put a lot more effort than that into our podcast, and that I'm not saying that's obvious. I'm not saying we're good at this, and I'm not saying this is a good podcast. But we definitely put a lot more effort yeah. than that into it, and it's still a version of being creative. I would say. Oh, definitely. I feel like this is one of the more creative things that I do with my life. So here's a question. Mm. People are still making zines, putting the effort into making these booklets in a world where the internet exists and you can get information out there far quicker and to more people. Why are people making zines still? Why do you think? Well, it's a hard one to say. I think that there's probably a couple of different answers to it. One is that I think in a world where nothing is real, Mm -hmm. there is a, a need for genuinely creative people to do something which is tactile and an actual real you can hold in your hands and in that and context read like a book yeah it's and, and i think people like reading not everybody but i think a lot of people i i i couldn't read from a screen like i still oh, no. buy books i i would and I, I hope that i can always still buy books it would be a fucking nightmare if not yeah. 
I hate reading from a screen. I remember my mum bought me a Kindle one year, yeah, and I just I turned sad. it on and was like, nope, nope. Yeah. It went on eBay. Sorry. So I think that there is that side of it, which is just it's like an aesthetic quality mm. to making something. I think that to some extent it might be a part of a lot of people's kind of attitude to their own mental health in as much as making things is really good for you. Mm-hmm. Created, creating things is really good for you. And if you do that on the internet, I think even for probably younger people, nah, maybe not though, but I don't know. I think probably for younger people as well, it's quite a soulless activity mm-hmm. to put loads of effort into something. And then, you know, why do people bother putting films out in any other way apart from just shoving them on YouTube? Well, you know, there's a mm-hmm. reason for it, isn't there? Partly it's financial. Yeah, And I think so that's my second point about zines now. Zine culture in this day and age is not quite the same. Although mm-hmm. I think that most zinesters would describe themselves in this way. I don't think it's quite the same. It's more along the lines of like Etsy crafters yeah, and things like that. So it's it's a lot of art. It's a lot of artists. It's one way of getting your art out there. And it always has been. And that's yeah. brilliant. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can definitely find a lot of zines online which are like £20 for my 40-page A5 zine that's been professionally printed. Well, that's the other thing. So So there was a time where it would have cost an awful lot of money and it would have been something quite difficult to find out about to get something professionally printed. Mm. So you've, uh, during your poetry, you've made quite a lot of chapbooks, which I learned today is the beat poetry word for essentially a zine, but they yeah, it Well, it was, pre, it was sort of pre, pre Keep in mind, so keep in mind when zines started, they were fanzines. Oh, so okay. it was like, it was like, I like, I like, I like sci-fi. I'm a big fan of uh, sci-fi. So I'm going to make, you know, so obviously Alan Ginsberg, when he thought I'll self-publish my, I'll self-publish my poetry, didn't think to himself, well, I'm making a fanzine. Yeah, I'm going to make a fanzine a, about myself. He, when he wrote Howl, he needed a different word. A different word. To describe, fair enough. So should he have. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, so you've made some chat books and they're not. Uh, things that you photocopied and stapled together no they are professionally printed to some level but i would still argue it's like this is kind of where the modern day has kind of gone there's there's a there's a bit of a spectrum of things in as much as there are still people that are photocopying things and stapling it together and 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 probably are hardline about that being a zine and Mm. maybe getting a, a printer to print one off maybe not being but I watched you make that thing you it was the same process you wrote all those poems you decided the layout in a very specific manner you picked images that reflected exactly the kind of content you wanted to be in there um but also in the modern world we now have access like a basic per- a basic person sorry you're a basic person I am a basic but person like in the most- context I think of what you're talking about as in yeah. using the computer I'm an extreme oh yeah, basic yeah, yeah, person oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and obviously it still takes a level of um, skill that has a level of uh, privilege that people who are breaking into copier shops wouldn't have had mm. potentially although I think there was still some pride to doing that as opposed to they could have done it a different way and they were like no we have to do it for free and it has to look like this but I think what you've created is still a zine but maybe that's the most uh, up to date modern version in as much as it's tipping the book it's tipping the line between have you just published a book but it's still self i'm going around in circles here and i don't know if that's trying to be defensive of you or not no 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 you don't have to be 2004 dave would think that 2021 and 22 dave uh making poetry books on his computer it was totally not a zine yeah in fact i wouldn't really call what i've printed when i've made poetry i call them chat books for for a reason, partly because that's just what all poets call them, but also yeah. because I don't consider that a zine. 
True, but because, I mean because more... it's too professional. So right. so so me from then would be like there is that is nothing. If a computer's touched it, it's not a fanzine. Okay, that would have been my and, my and, opinion. And a lot then. of people would still probably hold that. Opinion. I don't think they would anymore necessarily, but really? may, I think even people that do it like if you think about it, that is a stupid way of looking at it because even if you photocopy it, it's still gone through a machine. Like yeah. you know, I know it's a bit different, but yeah, but. But so I so I don't necessarily see that as a zine, and I don't mm. see myself as a zinester for making poetry books because no, I, because I, mean, I now you know I write poetry I suppose yeah. But I think somewhere where the small press is still important is within poetry, and I only yeah. found that out over the last couple of years because because I found out about this sort of underground poetry scene, yeah. which I've become a small part of, and people are definitely still homemaking. Martin, mm-hmm. big shout out to Martin at Scumbag Press. His, mean, his, his zines his zines look fucking amazing but he makes them yeah. by hand and there's lots of people that are doing that i really i've used professional printing i don't know why i think maybe because i've got spoiled because i because now through music and we'll talk about this more on next week's episode oh. um it used to be to me like i used to take pride in the fact that i would put out a cdr because I didn't have to at that time. Yeah. I could have I could have got it released properly. But a CDR was in the same way as a zine, was so much more instant. So it was like I've written five songs, I've recorded yeah. them on a four track recorder, and it's coming out in three days' time. And, and so- this is exactly where I am at this second yeah, in time. And that's true. I've only made this many of them and that's all that are going to exist. Yeah. And that was that to me that was like really noble and a really a really good thing it's but now it's more personal yeah like definitely. a CDR and came ma- from you and you make the like whole you thing you didn't send that off like yeah, you, yeah. you made it you put it in your computer like every, no, I love, every I love aspect of it I mean I literally I used to write this and I was such a fucking prick but I used to write this in all of the CDs I put out it's like this is just you're getting just a completely raw version of this second in my you're life you're getting the raw version my of band me. was called Short Term Diary I mean that was the fucking point it was that every release was like here I am right now <gasps> oh my god and yeah, and I was a prick oh. I was a prick yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got um, so many copies if you'd like any please send a uh... not of these we haven't but anyway have we not no no oh, they so all went people to send I, did, I haven't bit even of got some of them envelope. I specifically didn't want to keep some of them oh, anyway really? anyway it's anyway. not important the point that I'm trying to make is that that's changed my I probably I got older I don't know whatever but now like once I got to a certain point of like in bands I didn't really want to put out like who puts out a CDR now I mean some if they did I'd buy it definitely yeah, just out of excitement I've had but, a couple of bands recently and they're so good but I know that people have started putting cassettes and stuff out but I mean even then you do it professionally and I think you get to a stage in your life maybe I don't know where you kind of want something to just look professional and I so Again, 2004 would be calling 2022 yeah. Dave a cunt right now. But so as a result of that, as a result of like having the Haste album on vinyl, like that was a really yeah. awesome thing. And like, you know, even like Dead Anyways, all of that stuff, it came out quite professionally. And so so when I came to like making poetry books, I was just sort of like, oh, I don't want, I want to go back to just. Yeah, I want it. I want it to look really good. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know. I don't know what that makes me—a hypocrite, a massive hypocrite. Would you ever sit and make a little zine? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. No, I'd love to. I used to love doing it. I never really did it. Like I was never a zine person. I was Mm. never like making loads of zines to send out. But I used to do it. I used to do it and make like ten. For often for the London Zine Symposium, they had like a free table. So I would always put. I would make some zine of ten copies. And just leave them on the table. Aww. I couldn't even tell you what they are. Again, I, I never them. kept. I never kept copies. The, my thing at the time. Again, I was a fucking brick. My thing at the time was just like make something and then don't even keep it for yourself. It'd be nothing like, to do with you. Get rid of it. Yeah. It's very devo. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. 
But yeah, I don't know. Is that zines? I think that's uh, zines. There's probably loads more to talk about. We haven't covered we haven't covered that much stuff. I don't know. No. We've just sort of gone around in circles. But I think we'll continue this conversation on the next episode. We're going to go more mm-hmm. into music, and it will probably we'll probably hark back to zines a yeah, bit. Yeah, I imagine we probably will. And well, then, there's still the big crossover, so I'm sure it'll, zines will come up highly when we get onto lo-fi music. And talking about music, not necessarily lo-fi. Nope. Uh, This song is by a band called Cult Sickness, who are from Seattle. It's from their EP Brief Peaks and Self-Loathing, which is available now via their Bandcamp page. The song is called PSHP, so this is Cult Sickness. to this episode of breakfast punks podcast as always you can follow us on all the various social medias that we usually poo poo at some point we've poo pooed facebook we don't have a facebook we don't have because we poo poo it that was that was <laughs> we do have was a tiktok that why? or was it just laziness I think uh, it was laziness. laziness and we don't really <laughs> use it uh, we do have a tiktok we really don't use that i think we made one tiktok once uh, so don't go follow us on that but do follow us on instagram at breakfast punks podcast uh we have a patreon should you wish to support us in any financial uh, way that you can. And we're very appreciative to our patrons. Uh, uh, we've just put out the 10th episode of our exclusive Patreon ooh. episode. And it was a good one. We talked about we talked about change 
in the context of all of all of our life changes that have been going on. I wonder if it had something to do with the fact that Mercury was in retrograde. Oh, looking back, it might Um, have been. But it was, yeah, it was a good one. I think we did record it on that last day. Oh, there you go. Not really a Twilight Zone, just a pure slight coincidence. I meant to sing the X Files, so it's gone wrong. And neither would have been appropriate. Um, if you want to email us uh, with any feedback or any thoughts or tell us, uh, criticism or anything, we really do like hearing anything you have to say, even if it's poo-pooing us, which is fine. Um, you can email us at shamcityroasters at gmail.com. That's the best way. Or you can uh, direct message us, direct messages, I'm using the full words, on uh, Instagram. So and I would love, we, we, you know, talking about zines, if you make a zine, contact us. I'll buy it, probably. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, let's write some letters. <laughs> Who's, Do you want who's to be a pen for, pal? Who's up for writing some letters? I'm well up for writing some letters. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. We, we didn't really it. talk enough about that in, because we were just babbling about random shit that came into our heads about zines. But I mean, that was a really big part of the zine thing. It was like mail art and... God, there's, I mean, there's so many different parts to it. But, you know, just writing letters to people. One of the yeah. things that a lot of zinesters talked about was how, like, on a daily basis in their sad lives where they were miserable and they had shit jobs and they didn't, you know, not many friends and all that sort of stuff. They'd come home to this massive mail of all these letters from people saying, oh, your zine was great, your zine was rubbish. And it didn't matter because it was just communication. Communication. And we're lonely and sad. So send us a letter. We can do it so instantly now, but it means nothing. Whereas if you write to us, we'll love you forever. Or hate you if you write nasty things. Well, no, because we can write you nasty things back. That's the beauty of the... I suppose that's the same as the internet. Basically, what we're we're describing, Facebook. Yeah. (laughs) So let's not actually on the other on second thoughts. But I do like when you're writing to people like I like not only writing things, but like you get to draw a little stupid picture or you find something and think, oh, I'll put that in that letter and you post it. And it's I mean, like, you're not selling anybody like a, on your uh, on your letter writing skills. No one's going to write us now because they're going to be like, oh, Siobhan's just going to send us back some fucking picture she's drawn. <laughs> Do it, you I'm want just going to put some surprise in the envelope. Yeah, like, oh, I found this sticker the other day and I think this person will really like it. I save that and I put it in the letter next time I write to them. <laughs> it's good. It's good fun. <laughs> write to us. Um, You don't have to do anything we say. You don't have to listen also, to the Also, I'm not giving my again. address out anyway. So, <laughs> so just, Oh, you have to yeah. get a P.O. box to stop all the mental people. <laughs> I used to have a P.O. box <laughs> back you? in the day. Yeah. Where was your P.O. box? Orpington. Where, what is a P.O. box? Is it a box that you go and access or is it just the post office? Uh, you just have to go and see the people around the back of the post office and that sounds dodgier than it was. But you know, the people that you <laughs> go and I don't think you get, had a P.O. box. The <laughs> and they, just box gave you, they just gave you hustlers. And you said, I didn't order this. It must have been my dog. My dog paid for this, but I'll take it back because Marino does want to look at it. <laughs> No, you went round the back to where you get your parcel if you, if it wasn't delivered properly, and you say you showed it. I had a little card. Oh. I think I was PO Box Fifty One, Orpington, Kent, and uh, I showed my little card, and then they'd they'd give me whatever came. Oh my god, we have to start a breakfast punks. Um, I mean, box. there's no fuck. Do you think anyone's got a PO box in this day and age? Can we make one. I'm I don't sure. think they can't even exist. Surely. <sighs> Message us if you'd like us to get a PO box. Um, <laughs> They're quite expensive, aren't they? Or if you're just really fed up at this point (laughs) and you just want us to stop. Right. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Let's play one last song and let you guys go. This song is from a band called Sleep in Motion and the song is called Leave. They're from Nottingham and this is the latest single which is available via all normal digital platforms. You can go out there and get it and we will see you in two more weeks' time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Stay (laughs) lo-fi.
Sorry, Bud. <laughs> that worry you. Yours is more of a weird choir boy. <laughs> I was, that was the hard, that's the lowest I think I've ever sang. Right? Jesus that's definitely it's the very lowest quiet. voice I can do. Jesus Christ. Oh, the end was good. Yeah, Everything was else was bad. I could do death, death metal. <laughs> I could blacken my death metal. I'll get black on you. <laughs> it's so quiet. But I can't do any. If I go louder, it gets higher. Mm. So it's, it's a womanly fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've done a minute of that, so that's some of the podcast done. No, right, you ready? that's none of the podcast done. <laughs> an extra at the end. <clears throat> no, it's not.